study as I have explained it seems that over the last many months the Lord has been directing me and opening doors for me to go various places and teach this apostolic message and yet here at home it seems it's been a long time since I've done that and I just really felt led of the Holy Ghost to come back and do that again and so we've been in this study now of uh, the subject of yet to cover and so we've got a long way to go before we finish it all so I'm in no hurry today we're going to go as far as time and the Lord will permit uh, as we continue on in this study I do want to uh, just encourage everyone to be faithful tonight uh, to the service and I feel like the Lord talked to me several days ago about tonight's service and so we want you to be faithful to God's house tonight so I do believe the Lord has a word for this church praise God amen I do covet your prayers uh, as I mentioned the other day we're getting ready to head to Africa be leaving out tomorrow and uh, I did put up a sign-up sheet for times of prayer and days of fasting during the conference as we always do uh, when I'm gone and so if you would take the time after service today to stop by the bulletin board out in the foyer and uh, uh, sign up for a day of fasting and some times of prayer we would appreciate it uh, we are expecting a very sizable crowd. It is a brand new city for us. Uh, we've never been to, and we're just expecting God to open many, many doors. And so we do need your prayers. We need your prayers. I've said over and over again that God did not just choose me for this work in Africa. He chose this church. And there is a job for you to do. There is a part for you to play. There is a responsibility for you to bear in all of this. And um, so this is what I am asking of you. You would take this time to pray and fast and ask God to help us to bring truth to men that are in false doctrine. Hebrews chapter 6 and beginning with verse number 1. Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation. Everyone say the foundation. The foundation of repentance. Laying on of hands resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment and this will we do if God permits as I've pointed out to you over the last several weeks the apostle here is explaining to us what the foundation of the true church is and he, he gives us very explicit details of those things that make up our foundation. 
And the true church of the living God is built upon the foundation of, number one, repentance. Repentance. It's a part of our foundation. Number two is faith toward God. That's part of our foundation. And then in verse 2, he continues by saying the doctrine of baptisms. And we've explained that, the reason why he used the plural word there. Uh, but there, uh, this, this, is, this is a part of our foundation. It's a part of our foundation. Uh, baptism. Baptism. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is a part of our foundation. Baptism in water is a part of our foundation. Amen. The laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are the things upon which the church of the living God uh, is built. These things are necessary to us. Can't get by without the foundation. We can't get by without the foundation. And so all of the things that the apostle lists here are a part of our foundation. And, uh, and so these are necessary subjects, essential topics for us to examine in the light of Scripture. Would you put your Bible down now and would you join me in prayer? Would you ask for a spirit of revelation? They've directed people to the notes and have seen people converted I want a spirit of revelation to come as I teach. Uh, it's not just about whether or not you have the revelation, but we want everybody to get the revelation. We want everybody to understand it. Amen. Would you pray with me right now, Lord? Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's praise him one more time before we're seated today. Can we do that, everybody? Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Oh, we need you today, Jesus. We need you today, Jesus. God of heaven, we've got to have you. We've got to have you. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I... I really need, for time's sake, because we have taken much longer in the preliminary part of this service than, than we normally do, and so for time's sake, I really need to, to forego a lot of the review that uh, I would normally do. Uh, and so all I can say is, if someone's listening to this message, uh, that you need to be sure you go back and get the previous lessons as well, so that we can establish certain things about this important doctrine. We have spent 
some weeks showing you God is through obedience to the things that Jesus said. And he made it clear we've got to be born of water and of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. And so we spent some time going through the commands of Jesus, the commands of Peter. We talked about those things. Uh, in our last lesson, we went through the Old Testament and showed you the types, the shadows. We showed you how baptism has always been a part of God's plan, that he began to show us that even in the process of creation, Hallelujah. Uh, in the very opening verses of Scripture, God began to show us what his plan was. And it required death. It required water. It required the Spirit. All of that is a part of God's plan and has always been a part of God's plan. Amen. This is not something new. This is not something new. This has been the way God designed it from the very beginning. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the plan of God. In the beginning, God had a plan. I'm telling you, God didn't come up with this at some point prior to the New Testament or during the New Testament. He didn't come up with it after Adam and Eve sinned. Amen. This was with God from the very beginning. God already knew what the plan was going to be. And so he began to reveal it to us. He began to show us. He began to give us the types and shadows. And we spent an entire lesson dealing with those things. And hopefully those that have listened to the previous lessons and have done so with an open heart have come to the conclusion that baptism is indeed essential. Now I want to talk about something that really most of the time when I teach this church on this subject I really don't deal with a lot. Uh, I don't get into it much because I feel like it's pretty much a settled issue among most of us. But I do want to, uh, as, as I explained when we went through the Godhead, that, that what I really felt the Lord wanted me to do in these series of lessons was not just these subjects and to give you a full and complete understanding of the biblical reason why we do everything that we do. We do it all because of the scripture. It's all based on the Bible. And, and we need to know what the Bible says. And so today, in today's lesson, and I doubt seriously we'll get much farther than this in today's lesson, but what I want to deal with today is a specific aspect of this subject of baptism that, as I said, I really don't think I've dealt with uh, before in this pulpit. Uh, I've generally just moved beyond it and went straight to uh, the method of baptism uh, we've gone to the baptismal formula and dealt with uh, how we need to do it. But I want to I spend at least today and talk to you about the mode of baptism. Because, you know, there are those who teach that baptism can be accomplished simply by sprinkling water upon another individual. And that sprinkling is an acceptable form of baptism. But I want to I want to settle that issue in your minds today. Now now listen to me church. Listen to me. I know that as I get started, 
as far as I can tell, everybody under the sound of my voice right now fully believes this. You know that you've got to be immersed to be baptized. But I want to tell you, I'm not just trying to reaffirm what you know. I'm trying to give you tools to be able to answer when others ask you. I want you to have scriptures in your hand as to why we do these things. And I want the material to be out there for those who don't know this. So please don't just write this off this morning as something you already know and agree with. But I'm asking you that you would let God talk to you quickly here today. But before we even go to the scripture, let me just address something that I think needs to be addressed. It needs to be stated. As you know, I don't spend a lot of time in these studies trying to take you through the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, not because I can't, but because I don't believe it's necessary for us to have a full understanding of everything. I also believe that it really just complicates things in a lot of minds. Most of you are not going to deal with Greek scholars. Most of you are not going to be dealing with theologians. You're going to be dealing with co-workers and friends and family members who know as little about the original language as most of you know. All right, and that's not putting you down. I don't know a lot about it myself. I just know how to use the right tools. All right, so, so I'm telling you that, that most of you are not going to have to know Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and, and be able to break these words down and go to interlinears and, and uh, uh, go into uh, various uh, word studies to explain this. So these things are not essential. That's why I don't include them in my study. But I do think that it's worth pointing out that the very word baptize itself comes to us. It's, it's not a translation. It is really a transliteration. All right, now, I know that that's almost like sitting and trying to talk to Josh about internet and all of that. I... He, he, he starts talking all that, and I'm just nodding my head and saying he'll finish soon. I have no idea what he's talking about right now. Um, somebody made the mistake of asking him one time what was the difference between duration is when you take the original alphabet that it's used and you just convert those letters into our English letters and you adopt that word as an English word. All right, so, so baptize actually comes from a Greek word, baptizo, baptizo. And if you take the Greek letters, um, and I won't bore you by calling out the Greek letters, but Greek alphabet's totally different than our alphabet, all right? If you've ever seen it written, you ever seen Chinese written, you know that when you look at Chinese, it's not, those words are not spelled with English letters, right? And so before most of you could even try to translate something, it would have to be transliterated for you. They'd have to put it into English letters first. 
That's what the word baptize is. It's really a transliteration where you are just literally taking the Greek letters and, and using substituted English letters and, and spelling it out that way, all right? So baptize is the anglicized or English form of this Greek word baptizo. So I'm telling you that, that what baptizo means has to be what baptize means because it really is a Greek word. It's not an English word in its original state. Is everybody with me? So we're going to take that word. We can't just start assigning new meanings to it. It's not an English word for us to decide its definition. It is a Greek word. And the Greek word has a very specific definition behind it. The Greek word baptizo literally means to immerse. It, it means to dip. It means to plunge. It means to thoroughly and completely cover something. All right? That's what it means. Now, let me tell you, and again, I don't want to complicate anything for you. I don't want this to be hard, but understand there is a different word altogether. And so you can't take baptizo and make it mean what ratizo means. Are you with me? You just can't do that. Ratizo means to sprinkle. And, and I'm telling you that nowhere in the New Testament where baptism is discussed does the word ratizo ever appear. It's never used. There is never a time when baptism is described as a process of sprinkling. But the word literally means immerse. All right? Had we not transliterated that word, had we only translated it as we do most Greek words. I hope this is not confusing to you. Uh, for instance, the Greek word for preach, keruso. We don't, we don't put keruso in our English Bibles. We put preach or proclaim, all right? We translate that. But for whatever reason, folks decided to transliterate baptizo. And so now scholars, theologians think they can come along and add their own definitions to these words. But you can't do that. All right? Had we never transliterated that word, I'm telling you that any genuine, any genuine translation of this Greek word would have said immerse. Repent and be immersed, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. He that believeth and is immersed. Shall be saved. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Immersing them in the name of the Father. The word baptize. Means to immerse. There is no other way, but that can't be done. You were either immersed or you were sprinkled.
but you cannot immerse while sprinkling. Well, so, so I'm just telling you that from the very beginning, before we even get into the scripture. Now, thank God we've got scripture to back this up as well. So again, you don't have to know the Greek language. But I'm telling you really, any honest-hearted student of the Bible should reject using the word baptize to mean sprinkling. Those who do that are doing it simply to back up their own false doctrine. They're not doing it to be accurate. All right? So I just, I want to settle that. And you can, you can check your sources. In fact, the notes, when I get it all done, when I get it all put together, uh, and I hand these notes out whenever that is, that I finally get the time to do all of that, I'm going to include in that a quote from a professor uh, who worked at the University of Athens in Greece. Greek is his native language, or was, he may be dead now, was his native language. So I'm telling you, if anybody knows what the word means, a native of that country knows what it means. Right? It'd be like me telling a Frenchman that we means no. It's the same thing. Because we're talking about opposite definitions. Are you following me? I cannot tell someone who speaks a different, which is a dictionary of uh, another language. If you go to a Greek lexicon, that is a... Uh, it's really more than a dictionary, but it, it gives you the history of a word, the forms of the word, uh, that any lexicon, any lexicon of the Greek language will tell you that the word baptizo strictly means immersion. There is no other option, all right? So that ought to settle the issue. But because I want to always back up what I say with the scripture, that's what we're going to do this morning. So would you get your Bibles? It is Bible study time, and we're going to go to the Scripture. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Romans 6 and verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Now I want you to look at this at this verse of scripture. Therefore we are. We're buried. We're buried. We are buried with him. By baptism. Into death. That like as Christ was raised up. From the dead. By the glory of the father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is a clear. A clear verbal picture in this verse of what baptism is. Baptism was portrayed to us through Christ being enclosed in the tomb. He was completely immersed, if you please. He was completely enclosed. A stone was rolled over the mouth of that tomb. It was sealed up. He was enclosed in that. And he was raised up out of that tomb to begin a brand new life. 
And the apostle said that's what baptism ought to do for us. We are buried with him. In fact, Colossians 2 and 12 gives us the very same analogy here. Colossians 2 and 12 says this. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Paul tells us uh, on these two occasions that when we look at baptism, what we ought to see is burial. Now please tell me who buries people by sprinkling dirt on them. That's not a burial. That's not a burial. You don't bury anybody through the process of sprinkling. If you're going to bury somebody, they're going to have to be completely enclosed. Right? I don't care if we're talking about a grave. A tomb that is hollowed out of a rock? A mausoleum? I don't care what we're talking about. If it's a burial, there is a complete enclosure. And the only way, and you'll remember I've taught many times about how much God uh, God um, has, has put his approval on certain types of and, and uh, uh, has given us things that mean something. We talked about Moses smiting the rock and how God honored that type and how God honors the type in the New Testament of, of the, the fruit of the vine and the bread. God honors the type in the New Testament of a woman's hair and a man's hair. These are things that God set as types and God honors that type. And the Lord has let us know baptism is to be a type of burial. And I'm here to tell you that if all you do is sprinkle somebody, you've broken the type. There's no way you can classify that as a burial. So if you've only been sprinkled, you have not been baptized. It just hasn't happened. Now, example for us. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized. When Jesus was baptized. Went up straightway. He, water. now look at this. He went up straightway out of the water. That doesn't sound like a sprinkling to me. I remember many years ago, there was a big push in the religious world for a movie that, that had come out and, and about the life of Christ and, and all of these big well-known preachers around the world were, were pushing this, saying it is the most biblically accurate movie that's ever come out about the life of Christ. Now, this was many, many years ago. I was just a boy. Uh, fairly new in the church and and I mean they were they were sending out mailers to everybody now, these things were just covering America and I remember opening that mailer and seeing pictures on that of of this quote unquote most biblically accurate movie ever made of the life of Christ and and in the picture is John the Baptist and Jesus standing in the river and John has a little cup in his hand and he's pouring water on Jesus' head. And I said right then, uh, I don't know who 
declared this to be biblically accurate. But I can tell you right now, they missed it. Now, I didn't go to the movie, not planning to go to the movie, not planning on ever watching the movie. I don't know anything else about the movie other than the pictures that I saw way back then, all right? But this much I know, Jesus was not sprinkled as a form of baptism. And it doesn't take a real theologian to figure that out. In fact, please tell me why he even had to get in the water if all John was going to do was pour a cup over his head. There's no need to get in the water if that's all you're going to do. But when Jesus was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water. That sounds like an immersion to me. Now listen, Jesus didn't have to get baptized. We talked about baptism on our behalf in our previous lessons. We get baptized for a specific reason. What's that reason? For Somebody knew the answer to that question. Um, we get baptized for what reason? Yeah, a few, of you, a few more of you figured it out. Good. Uh, we get baptized for the remission of sins. Jesus didn't have to be baptized for the remission of sins. He had no sin to be remitted. So why did he get baptized? As an example. If he did it as an example, then don't you think the way he did it was also part of that example. If he was not sprinkled, we should not be sprinkled. If we're going to follow his example, we need to do it just like he did, and we need to get down in the water. Well, hallelujah. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. Lord have mercy, my time is... Slipping away. Acts chapter 8. I'm, yes, Acts chapter 8. Verses 38 and 39. Let's look again. We want biblical examples of how this ought to be done. Acts chapter 8 and verse 38 says this. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. They went down both into now now listen in fact you got your bible open to acts 8 or are you just reading it off the wall i i want you to i want you to look at something in acts chapter 8 i want you to look at something here in in acts chapter 8 um about this whole story this is philip this is the ethiopian eunuch i love to use this story when i go to africa because Ethiopia just happens to be in Africa. And here is an example of an African getting baptized. All right? Now, the Ethiopian is reading the scripture, and the Lord carries Philip, or directs Philip there, tells Philip to join. The Spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, Unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is the de which is desert. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Which is what? Desert. Which is what? Desert. How about the rest of you? It's what? Desert. What is a desert?
is a place declared a desert? Because of a lack of water, right? So Philip meets up with the Ethiopian in the desert. Now look, this Ethiopian, well, let's keep reading. Let's, let's, let's read on a little bit here. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Great authority. Queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, this man worked for the queen of Ethiopia. Who had the charge of all her treasure. Had the charge of all her treasure. And come into Jerusalem for to worship. He came to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning. And, and was returning. He was on his way back to Ethiopia, sitting in his chariot. Read Isaiah the prophet. All right, now, now look. This is a man of great power and influence. He had access to all of the treasure of the queen of Ethiopia. He knows he's going to be traveling home by way of the desert. Do you think it's safe to assume that he had some kind of water container with him in that chariot? Now, this is not an idiot, right? I mean, this is not somebody that you can measure their IQ with, with a, um, uh, a tire gauge. This is a man of prominence, a man of position, a man who had access to great wealth, who knew that both going and coming, he had to cross the desert. Don't you suppose that in that chariot he had several animal skins filled with water? That was their form of bottle back then, by the way. So, so they had these animal skins filled with water because he meets him in the desert. All right, let's read on. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, the Spirit said to Philip, Go near, go near and, thyself to and this join chariot. yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran so thither Philip to him ran and heard him reading. And he heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And, and he said, said, Do you understand what it is you're reading? Read. And he said, How can I? He said, How can I? Some man should guide me. Boy, I'll tell you what, I wish more people had this kind of an attitude. And he desired. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, 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 don't racehorse me, all right? Don't, don't. I wish more people had this kind of attitude. How can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? You know, how many people have I witnessed who said, well, I know what that means. Well, I understand what that means. I, I, know, I know Brother um, brother Brandon Hilton was telling me about talking to a young person who said, well, my grandpa knows more about the Bible than you do. This is the same grandpa that, well, never mind. <laughs> Anyhow, um, look, there was something in this man who was a man of prominence and position and power, had access to wealth, but he said, there is something that I recognize. If I'm going to understand the scripture, God has set it up in such a way that I need somebody to help me with this. Well, hallelujah. 
That's just food for thought. Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Read. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken Okay, let's, 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 let's skip down. Uh, verse 34, the eunuch asks Philip, uh, who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or somebody else? Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, began at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. Verse 36. And as they went on their as way. They, what? This is a desert. Now this is not just, you know, a little spring coming up out of some rocks. Because they came to a certain water, read. And the eunuch said. And the eunuch said. Here is water. Here is water. What doth hinder me what to be baptized? doth hinder me to be baptized? Read. And Philip said. And Philip said. Thou believe, if you believe with, with all, all your heart, heart, thou mayest. You can. And he answered and said, I believe he that said, Jesus believe, Christ is the Son of God. I believe. Read. And he commanded the chariot, he commanded to, stand the chariot still, to stand still. And they both went down into this the This is why I say it's not just some little bubbling spring that's just coming up between a few rocks. They went down both into the... Where did this water come from in the middle of a desert? If all that was required for baptism was sprinkling, I'm telling you that eunuch had enough in his animal skins in that chariot that Philip could have poured that water on his head, especially in the middle of the desert. But God said that's not enough. And this man's hungry. And this man wants to get baptized. I submit to you this morning that in the middle of the desert, God created a lake. God put water there that I don't think was there prior to this moment. But God put it there because somebody needed to be baptized and just pouring water over their head was not good enough. Amen. So they both went down into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch. Both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized, and he baptized him. him. And when they were, and come, when up they were water, come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this, look, even if you want to say, well, you know, he's going across the desert and so he couldn't use up what water he had saved. Whatever you want to say, I'm telling you that was not acceptable to God. And God said, if I've got to, I'll create a pool where there is no pool. But I'm going to see to it that a hungry heart gets baptized. Now, I'm going to tell you, this story became so real to me when I was in, uh, in uh, I'm trying to think which city it was, Lilongwe, in Lilongwe, Malawi, the capital city of Malawi. Brother Jared Hilton was there uh, with me to witness this. He was there uh, on this trip. Brother uh, Joel Pace was there with me. Brother Fleming was there. Brother, uh, I'm trying to think who all was there. Brother Ogle was there on that trip. Brother Stevens was there. We had quite a crew there. They all witnessed this. One of the questions when I was teaching on baptism, one of the questions that I always get well, what about somebody that's in prison? You know, what are you going to do about them? They got to be baptized. What are you going to do? What about somebody that's on their deathbed? What are you going to do about those people? And 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 I actually had 
Now, look, I was in Harare, Zimbabwe, answering questions, and somebody said, what about the people in Iceland where all the waters froze over? Well, I didn't want to make them look too bad, so I didn't explain to them that Iceland is really beautiful and green. It's Greenland that is covered with ice. Don't ask me why. Look it up. It's true. Look it up. Do a Google search. Look for pictures of Greenland and look for pictures of Iceland. And you will see somebody got severely confused. But I knew what they were asking, all right? So I didn't even address that point. What about Iceland where everything is covered with ice? And, and I said, this was my answer. I said, you know, I'm not trying to be ugly, but last time I checked, we're not in Iceland. We're in Africa. And you don't have to worry about all your water being froze over. Now, I've been there when it's gotten down into the 40s, but water doesn't freeze in the 40s. So, so I, I'm getting these kinds of questions. Back to Lilongwe. They didn't know, as they're asking these questions, what they didn't know. We were dealing with a situation right at the moment. We had hired a baptistry from a neighboring church that they had told us would be filled with water and ready for us to use at the end of that session. And it just so happened that Lilongwe had been through a a long, long drought, and water was scarce. And this church had sent word to us that morning that in spite of the fact that they said we could use their baptistry, we couldn't. Because they couldn't use up what water they had. And so we're standing here. I'm teaching about baptism, and I don't even know how I'm going to baptize these people. All right? And so then they start asking me, well, what do you do when there's no water available? How do you do? So I took them to Acts chapter 8. And I showed them how when there were hungry hearts, God made a way in the desert for an African man to get baptized. While I am teaching that, one of the men comes running up to the platform, gets my attention. I stopped teaching. I've been down. He said, there's another church across the street that's got a baptistry filled with water that just said we can use their baptistry at no cost. And so I was able to complete my example by saying, even here today in this meeting, if you want to get baptized, God has made a way for those who want to be baptized. I'm telling you, church, this is important to God. It's important enough that he'll put a pool in the desert if he has to. I'm telling you, if you want to get baptized, God will make a way for you to get baptized. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. That's why, you know, they start asking, what about somebody on their deathbed? What? I, I, I give them the story of my grandmother. My grandmother was, was dying was in the hospital they'd called the family in said she's not going to live through everybody was saying and i heard the doctor say i was dying and she said i couldn't speak out loud but i prayed in my mind god i'm not ready to die but if you'll get me out of this hospital 
I'm going to go down to that church where my grandson goes. And I'm going to let them baptize me in Jesus' name. And I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost. And God raised my grandmother up. And she kept her promise. And she got baptized in Jesus' name. And she received the Holy Ghost. And a few months later, God called her home to glory. Now, I'm just telling you, don't give me these stories about people on their deathbed, people in prison, people in a desert. I'm telling you, my God will make a way. If you want to be baptized, he makes a way for you to be baptized. God's not going to require something that he will provide a way for you to do what he says. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what kind of excuse you've got to, if you're really serious about it and you really want to be baptized. God will create water if he's got to. Amen. Oh, let's love him for a moment, can we? What a great God. What an awesome God he is. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, my time is almost gone this morning. It's almost gone. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try here very quickly to just go through. And this is not something that I've really stressed in any of these studies. It's not something I've really made a big deal out of. Because to me, the scripture is really all we need. We don't have to go any further than the word of God to establish a doctrine. But I do want to be where near the temple. You had to go through a ritual cleansing, a complete bath. Huge man-made, which this, again, it's, this is why sometimes history does help us. Um, I had some I've dealt with in Africa that somehow had developed a doctrine that you couldn't baptize people in a baptistry, that it had to be in a river, it had to be, you know, in, in a pond, it had to be in a lake, it had to be in, in fresh, flowing water, and, and to do it in a baptistry was wrong. And um, my response to them, thank God for the trip I got to make to Israel. And, and some of you may remember me talking about uh, that day that we went to the Temple Mount. And there leading up to the Temple Mount are these stone steps. And in the middle of these steps is this stone platform that, that juts out. And our Israeli tour guide was explaining to us that we call these the steps of teaching. The Jews would gather here on the feast days. And the rabbi, the Jewish teacher, would come and mount these steps and he would stand out on that platform and he would teach. And this was their custom. This is what they did. Now, here is why this is relevant, and I, I don't have time to get into all this, but uh, Brother Burgess was asking me the other day, uh, they're getting ready to go to Israel um, next year, they're making plans to go, and, and he was asking me my thoughts about whether or not people received the Holy Ghost in the upper room, were they actually in the upper room when all of Acts 2 took place, and so I related this story to him, um, you know, tradition has said to us, that it all happened in the upper room. But I'm going to tell you, sorry to blow your theology, but you're not going to fit 3,000 people into an upper room of a house. 
in Jerusalem. At some point, they had to have left that upper room. Though the scripture doesn't specifically say when, at some point they had to. Furthermore, remember this was the day of Pentecost. That was a Jew. Now for us, you know, we, we got all these days that we call holidays. But the word holiday, break it down. It is really a combination of two words. Holy day. Right. That's what a holiday Really, that's what the word, its origin meant. It was a holy day. So to the Jews, this holy day, they're going to the temple. That's where they're going to spend their holy day. Is at the house of God. And so that's why they would gather on their holy days. And the rabbi knew all the faithful are going to be right here. And so he would mount those steps of teaching, step out on that platform, and teach the faithful who gathered there for their holy day. So where do you think these 120 would have been when the day of Pentecost was fully come? Now they gathered in that upper room for prayer, that's clear. But on that holy day, where do you think they would go? Now, they might have been there praying when the Holy Ghost fell. I don't know. But I don't believe they were there the whole time. Because there's no way they could have reached 3,000 people while they remained in the upper room. And... And these 3,000 were all witnessing the actions and hearing the languages of those that just received the Holy Ghost, right? How could they do that if they're all shut up in an upper room? But doesn't it make sense that they, maybe they received it in the upper room, but it's the day of Pentecost. And they got to get down there to the temple. And I'm going to tell you, one of these days, maybe I'll be able to teach on Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Weeks, and a time of celebrating the harvest. That's what it was. So, here they are, down here waving their hands and talking in tongues, I believe at the temple and there are thousands that are gathered there devout men out of every nation and where are they going to be gathered not at the upper room but at the temple and the upper room just happens to be just a short walk from the temple and Peter no doubt knew if I want to reach the masses I know right where to go and so I could see Peter under the influence and inspiration of the Spirit running up those steps of teaching and stepping out there on that, uh, on that uh, platform and beginning to preach. These are not drunken as you suppose. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And the faithful are there to hear him. That's what they do on Pentecost. 
That's what they've done for centuries on Pentecost. But now they're getting a full explanation of to what it's all about. And then they cry out, they're pricked in their heart, and they say unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brother, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Now wait a minute. Where are you going to baptize 3,000 people when you're standing in downtown Jerusalem? I've been there. There's no great pool. There's no great lake. But I tell you what there is around the temple. There are man-made mikvahs, ritual baths that are filled with water because the faithful are coming for their ritual cleansing anyhow. And I'm telling you, standing there on the steps of teaching, standing there on that platform looking out, there are scores of these man-made places to fill with water. And they're filled with water and they're ready for the feast day. I'll tell you how they did it. They used those ritual baths. That's how they did it. They were right there. They were standing right there. They took them and started baptizing them in those mikvahs. So anyhow, I just that's why I say history really is important. And these, these Africans that tell me you got to go to a lake, you got to go. Well, there is no lake around the temple. There is no river around the temple, but there are man-made pools that men filled with water. Sounds like a baptistry to me. Well, hallelujah. So I'm just saying to you, church, I, you know that I, I stick with scripture, I stick with scripture, stick with scripture. But there are times that history helps us a little bit. So let me close very quickly. I'm closing, but let me just read to you just some historical information. All this will be in my notes. You'll get it all when I'm completely finished. But it'll all be in my notes. You'll see it there. I'm telling you that, that baptism from the very beginning was understood to be immersion. In fact, Eusebius, who is considered the father of church history, wrote this, and I'm quoting, the first instance on church record of pouring or sprinkling is that of Novation in the year 251 A.D. Got your timeline in your mind? You know, historians were a little bit off, evidently, in their records. Uh, we... We often say Jesus died 33 A.D., but evidently the historians were off by a few years. We don't know. Somewhere around 2930 A.D. is when, when Jesus died. The church began at that point. So we're talking 220 years later. 220 years is the first time it's recorded that any church that called itself Christian ever did anything except immerse. And here's the reason why. Novation had fallen into a grievous distemper and it being supposed that he would die immediately. Now I'm, I'm reading, all right? Being supposed... In other words, he recorded the first instance of sprinkling and he said, honestly, they say he was baptized, but I'm really stretching it to say he was baptized. <laughs> All right? It was not accepted in the early church. 
It was not done. Let me read to you just a few other. Martin Luther, which this is interesting because Martin Luther, you know, was the founder of the Lutheran church, which sprinkles for baptism. But Martin Luther said this, those who are baptized should be deeply immersed. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, which, by the way, sprinkles for baptism, was commenting on Romans 6 and 4, and he said that the term buried with him alludes to the ancient practice of baptizing by immersion. But it shouldn't have just been an ancient practice. Adam Clark said they received baptism as an emblem of death involuntarily going under the water. John Calvin, founder of the Presbyterian Church, said the word baptize signifies to immerse and it is certain that the rite of immersion was observed by the ancient church. Now these are men that are not apostolics trying to prove our point. You follow me? These are men whose own followers don't believe what I'm telling you right now. And yet, in their honesty, they explained there is no sprinkling found in the Bible. Let me read to you from a few other sources and then we're going to quit. I'm going to, I'm going to close, but... Again, the deal did not become accepted for another 600 years. Christianity through the centuries, I quote, immersion seems to have been widely practiced during the first century. Baptism was normally by immersion. The Liberty Bible Commentary says, and I quote, the use of baptized indicates the form of baptism as immersion of dipping or dunking into the water. Now these are not apostolic sources. How about Funk and Wagnall's encyclopedia? Far from apostolic. They said it is indisputable. In other words, it cannot be argued that at a very early period, the ordinary mode of baptism was by immersion. The American People's Encyclopedia says in the manner of baptism there is little doubt that the original practice was immersion. The National Encyclopedia says with the Jews the bathing of the whole body in clear cold water was a recognizable means of restoration from a state of unceremonial uncleanness. According to rabbinical teachings even before the temple baptism was an absolutely necessary condition to be fulfilled by each convert to the Jewish faith. Even before the temple, if somebody wanted to become a Jew, they could only do it by being baptized. Standard American Encyclopedia says in the primitive church, the person baptized was dipped. The World Book Encyclopedia says in early times, baptism was by complete immersion. And then the expository dictionary of New Testament words explains that the Greek word means the process of immersion, submersion, and emergence. That, that, that's a lot of big words, so let me just explain it. 
It is immersion, which is taking you into the water, submergence, making sure you're covered by water, and emergence when you come back, come back out of the water. No way to accomplish that through sprinkling. And yet, Greek scholars state without question, that's what you got to do if you're really going to obey the word baptize. I know what it takes to be saved. Well, I'm glad two or three of you are thankful for that. I am so glad. I'm so glad today that I'm not walking around in false doctrine. Listen to me, church. If these trips to Africa have done anything for me, they have made me appreciate this truth even more. I'm dealing with men who have spent their entire lives Sometimes men into their 60s and 70s who have been preaching since young men and they learn they've been preaching the wrong thing. They've been telling people the wrong way. I'm telling you, it makes me so thankful to God that when he brought me into the church, he brought me into the truth. I'm so glad I didn't have to try to lay aside a lot of false doctrine and false teaching and try to fight my way through to figure out what was really right. I am so thankful that God showed me from the very beginning that if I want to be saved, I've got to repent of my sins. I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name and I've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, come on, let's stand and thank God for truth today. Let's thank God for truth today.